in one of the four great books of the New Testament that deal with the apostasy of the last day, and they are 2 Thessalonians, 2 Timothy, 2 Peter, and Jude, I read one verse out of a multitude. They all, friend, agree one with another. Jude says that uh, uh, they have already been prophesied about these things that he spoke about in his letter. What he meant was that both Jesus and the apostles had already testified to them and written about them. He's not repeating just because he doesn't have to uh, have anything new to say. He's repeating to affirm what has been said. In other words, this is so important. God wants us to get the message. How many of y'all believe the Lord's coming soon? Say amen. How many of you believe we're living just days, maybe hours, before the church is snatched away? I believe that Scott, we ought to know. Now, this book of Jude, this book of Jude is all about two things, apostasy and the apostate. And he's identifying it to a degree in this passage who apostates are or their type, the Old Testament type, and the story that goes along with them so that we can clearly identify them, and that's what we're going to do today. He said in verse 11, Woe unto them, for they have gone in the way of Cain and ran greedily after the error of Balaam for reward and perished in the gainsaying of course, Father, we thank you today for the privilege of being in this place. Thank you for the privilege of prayer to be able to bow before you, God, whether it's on our knees, as long as we humble our heart, close our eyes in worship to you and bow our head in reverence. You hear us, and we're thankful for that. God, you know the need, but yet you tell us to ask and seek and to knock, and we'll find, and we're thankful for that. God, I pray that you, as you always will do, would exceed the need with your graces and, Lord, with your presence. Whether or not you answer our request as we would have it, God, we ask that you would grant it for your glory. Bless this word now, this lump of clay. You know what stands before me. God, you know my heart. And I pray today, God, that I might clearly set forth this that you have given to me. praise you for the outcome for asking. In the name of your son Jesus and all of God's people said, Amen. I'm going to talk to you a little while today as we have identified three, undoubtedly, the greatest apostates of the Old Testament. I'm going to preach about characteristics of an apostate. Characteristics of an apostate. And we're going to deal with, with three of them. We're not going to deal with that one of Cain nor of Korah or Kori right here, but we're going to deal with the characteristics of the apostate Balaam. In the book of 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 15, we find the way of Balaam mentioned. Here in 11, we have the error of Balaam mentioned in the book of Revelation chapter 2, verse 14. We have the doctrine of Balaam Mentioned. And it's important, friend, that I believe with all of my heart, we pay attention. This passage identifies, again, the most notable apostates of the Old Testament. 
And there are three passages, as I've already given them to you, in the, in the books of the New Testament that highlight three characteristics of this man by the name of Balaam. And I believe God did that very intentionally. You know why? Because I believe God is so desirous for us to be able to recognize an apostate um, by recording these important uh, events that we're going to look at today in the book of Numbers chapter 22, 3, and 4 so that we'd be sure to be able to identify. How many of y'all believe God's the God of knowledge? Say amen. And how many of you believe God wants us to know what he wants us to know? Say amen. And we'll never know the truths of God's Word without knowing the Word of God. We'll never know it. Turn to the book of Numbers chapter 22. Now here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to give you a brief overview. There's not going to be a deep dive. Each of these subjects demand more time than I'm going to give them this morning. Matter of fact, I don't even know whether I'll get close to the end of my message. I'll do my best. I'll give you, and Lord willing, I plan to come back. So if you'll come back, maybe I'll give you the rest of it. But here in chapter 22, it's a famous and one of the funniest chapters in the world of God. You say, why is that? Well, if you'd read deep enough, you'll find that Balaam, who was a prophet, and I'll say more about him in just a moment, had a conversation with a mule just like it was an everyday occasion. Funny stuff. Funny. Some, some wisecrackers said this. In the Old Testament, it was a miracle that an ass spoke. Somebody else said it was a miracle in the New Testament when one kept his mouth shut. Oh, that was good. Y'all, y'all think, I'm going to be too pious. I'm not going to laugh at that. That's good. That was funny, funny, funny. How true that it is. But I'm not going to deal with Balaam's journey. I'm just going to set this message up. For us, if I can. In this chapter, we find Israel. Israel was headed to the promised land. And we find Israel in the plains of Moab where a king by the name of Balak led a people. And Balak knew some things about the people that were in the plains of Moab. But more than this, he knew something about God. Of those people. He said, What did he know? Balak was stressed to the max because he knew when the children of Israel early come out of Egypt what God did to two kings, the king Shion and the king of Og. Shion was a big, big scutter, had six fingers on each hand, six toes on each foot, if I remember correctly. You ought to read how big the bed that he lay in. He'd have to get a 30-year mortgage to pay for that thing nowadays. Balak got stressed out. What in the world were the people of God going to do? As a matter of fact, what they, why were they here? Look at verses 4 through 6. Moab was so afraid of the people because they were many. And Moab distressed, was distressed because of the children of Israel. And Moab said to the elders of Midian, Now shall this company lick up all that are round about us. As the ox licketh up the grass of the field. And Balak, the son of Zippor, was king of Moabites at that time. He sent messengers, therefore, unto Balaam, the son of Beor, to Pethor, which is by the river, the land of the children of his people, to call him, saying, 
Behold, there's the people come out from Egypt. Behold, they cover the face of the earth, and they be able, uh, they abide over against us. Come now, therefore, I pray thee, curse me, this people, for there are too many for me. Peradventure I shall prevail that, they, that we might smite them, that I may drive them out of the land, for I want or know that he whom thou blessest is blessed, he whom thou cursest is cursed. Now let me tell you something about this man by the name of Balaam. He's one of, if not the most unique character across in the entire Word of God. At one moment, you'll think he's the greatest prophet that God ever put on planet Earth. And the next moment, you'll think, this is the biggest charlatan that ever was. But if you hang to that last thought, you'll be closer to the truth than if you hold on to the first thought. But let me say this about that. He could prophesy. He did prophesy truth. God spoke both to him and through him. So you know what I decided how to identify Balaam? He is an enigma wrapped up in a question mark. When you learn about who and what he is to clearly to identify and explain him, let me be the first that you call and do so. I've looked at him, wondered about him for 40 plus years. Are you okay? He was a Gentile prophet, and people sought him out. Undoubtedly, he was such a diviner, which connects him to witchcraft. And divining has to do with telling future events, by the way, foretelling. He was right in a lot of the things that he had to say. He had a reputation of being able to bring blessings on people or curses. Listen to this, everybody listening, say amen, depending on how or who was paying him. Key phrase. Did y'all hear that? Don't forget it. Don't forget it. There's a lot of mystery in this to me. He had a reputation. And so great was this man. If I remember correctly, he's mentioned in five books of the Old Testament. Think I could give them to you, but I'd rather let you get a concordance, look them up, read them yourself. That'll help you grow. Three books in the New Testament. And one verse in the old, I'll give you this book, you already know, Numbers, that's the book of Micah, chapter 6, verse 5. It's almost like God, not at the end, I wish God, and I'm not trying to tell him what to do, put it in the book of Malachi, or Malachi, but he put it in the book of Micah and said, hey, watch out for him. In other words, watch out for them, they're coming. One of the great words of Mark's our day, and I didn't finish the thought because of what it's supposed to a while ago, it's deception. We're living in a day of deception. When you go to the book of Matthew, chapter 24, I don't know what verse it is without looking again. Verse 15, maybe Jesus said, be not deceived. Three or four times in that chapter, he emphasizes the fact that he doesn't want the people of God to be deceived. So as you look at the story of Balaam, which is more about this prophet that lives under an umbrella question mark about the virgin mother of Jesus. 
Y'all do realize that? More written about him than there is about Mary. It's amazing what God does. As we follow his story, just introduced to him for a couple of days, God gives us a listen, a plethora of truth about apostates and apostasy. So I want you to think with me, first of all, about the way of Balaam. And that's what 2 Peter 2.15 says. You can turn there with me if you want. I'm going to turn real quick and read it. I'm not going to wait on you because I do not have time. But Peter says this. He said, uh, and I'm going to back at him and read verse 14. Having eyes full of adultery and that cannot cease from sin, beguiling unstable souls and heart, they have exercised with covetous practices, cursed children, which have forsaken the right way and gone astray, following the way of Balaam, the son of Besor, who loved the wages of unrighteousness. Brother or sister, we're living in the day of that being manifest in an undeniable way. How many of y'all ever been flipping through the TV surfing and you hear somebody said, Shalomahata Jesus. You just send me a seed offering and you'll get $1,000 back. I'm thinking, dude, if I had $1,000, I wouldn't need to get a seed. You know what I'm saying? I mean, I mean, I'm wondering why he doesn't exercise his faith and say, if you'll send me your address, I'll send you. You ever hear anybody do that on TV? I'd be willing to write that dude in a heartbeat. I'd put two stamps on it to make sure it got there. Greg needs more gas than what they're giving him. But that's what was going on. Balaam, friend, was a prophet of hire. That was his way. Can I tell you what, friend, we're seeing that manifest all over. Now listen, I know it takes money to run a ministry. Everybody heard me say that, say amen. I got a little radio ministry, and, and I can't tell you how I love and appreciate the people that support me. If it wasn't for them, I couldn't be on three FM stations. That amazes me. I'm on seven days a week. That amazes me even more. And I couldn't do that unless people were willing to give. But here's the key about it. I'm not making giving the main focus of the ministry God's called me to. We need funds at Roxalane. Everybody's aware of that. Say amen. And you are the greatest example of anybody I know. And I mean that, folks. I mean that. It's not about money, but money is an important part of any ministry until you make it the most important part. Now look, he was a prophet, but not a true prophet. How do you know that? He had light, but he had no life. He had all kinds of knowledge about the God of Israel. If you look, if you look at the sacrifices he offered, the altars that he had built, he had a lot of knowledge about God. But we need more than knowledge. We need some men and women that will raise up with wisdom, with an ability to use what they know for the glory of God. He not only had light, but no life. He had the Word of God without the God of the Word. Listen to me. Newsflash, it is not enough to know the Word of God. Satan knows the Word of God. 
He rests the Word of God. He uses it to His... I got a lot of S's in it. Uses it, didn't he? He uses it to His advantage, he thinks. But can I tell you all, He'll be judged from that book just like you and I will. And it's not going to turn out too well for Him. Look, if you will, in the book of 2 Timothy chapter 4, familiar scripture, the, the, the New Testament definition of an apostate. I'm going to read you just verses 3 and 4. I'm going to make some comments. I'm even going to call names of men that I think are apostates in our day. Now, as you're turning, let me say something to you. An apostate is not somebody that has ever been saved. Somebody that's ever been saved cannot become an apostate. Everybody heard me say that, say amen. Whether you believe it or not, or like me saying that or not, it's irrelevant. I couldn't care less, but I'm right in what I'm telling you. Somebody truly saved can do some dumb things. Real dumb things. They can hold something to be true that is not true because they're ignorant of the truth. But they cannot, friend, turn their back on what they know be true to embrace what they know not to be true and say that they've ever been saved that's a definition of an apostate and what apostasy is it is turning from what is known to be true to that which is what is known not to be true everybody heard that say amen this would be good for y'all to share somebody by the way in this apostate day i know i'm not the greatest preacher the three men that I'm going to mention today, friend, they can preach circles around me as far as oratorical ability goes, but not as far as doctrinal abilities go. And that's what matters, according to Spencer Smith. By the way, God was saying a long time before Spencer wasn't a job. This is what he said, verse 3 and 4. For the time will come, if Paul were here speaking from this pulpit of Roxalana, and he is through me, he wouldn't say it will come. He'd say it has come. We're living in the last days. Say amen. We're living in perilous times. We're living in the days of the final one-of-a-kind apostasies that Paul spoke to the Thessalonica church about in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. They will not endure sound doctrine, but they shall heap to their... Uh, they shall... But after their own lust shall they heap to themselves teachers having itching ears. And watch this. And they shall turn away their ears from the truth, shall be turned unto, the, unto fables. You know what a, uh, an Old Testament prophet, one of the minor prophets with a big message said? That in the last days there should come a famine in the land. Now listen to the way this is written. You can read it, you can find it. I'm quoting it, I think, verbatim. There shall come a famine in the land, not of hearing the word, not of bread and water, but of hearing the word of God. Now, this writer is not saying that there won't be the word of God to be heard. He said that there would be a famine of hearing the word of God. Everyone, listen, that could hear, as the Spirit says, will hear. But it's your responsibility and your responsibility to hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. If you choose not, that's to you. You'll get in trouble over it. You'll stand in judgment about it. But we need to hear what thus saith the Lord. And we need to make much about it when we do. 
Look what 2 Peter chapter 2 says. Now look, believe me, I'm not spending enough time on any of this. 2 Peter chapter 2, and I'm going to read the first three verses. Y'all care to stay with me to 12? No, I won't do you that way. Some of you would. All of you would without saying anything. I believe that with all my heart, but I will not do you that way. He said in verse 1 of chapter 2, But there were false prophets also among the people, and it was there shall be false teachers among you, who shall privily or privately bring in, um, bring in damnable heresies, denying the Lord that brought them, and bring upon themselves swift destruction. I got some light on that phrase, denying the Lord Jesus. I'll give it to you in just a minute. First time I think I've got some insight on what God was saying. And many shall follow their pernicious ways. Pernicious, destructive ways. By reason of whom the way of truth shall be evil spoken and through covetousness. Go back to Numbers 22. You remember that Balaam could not see the angel that the mule that he was riding on could see. Do you all remember that? If you do, shake your head. You know why he couldn't see that mule? He was blind by covetousness. Did you all get it? He couldn't see because he was thinking about all that money that Balak was going to load him up. He was blinded by covetousness. Anybody can be blinded by any sin they want. His just happened to be that particular one. But let me read on here in a second. Peter, with feigned words making merchandise of you, whose judgment have a long time lingereth not, neither nor their and their damnation slumbereth not. Can I tell you, friend? There are people like Stephen Furtick, smiling Joe Olstein, and I'll still submit to you. No pastor ought to smile all the time. I'm being serious as as a termite is in a fresh piece of wood. And there's another one I'm going to mention today. Name is Andy Stanley. Dangerous man. I've heard enough. Look, now look. I'm not judging these people, but I am judging what they're saying. Whatever God does with eternity, that's between him and them. God forbid that I put my hand on the Lord's anointed. But I'll tell you what, if Paul can call out a man of the name of Demetrius, friend, look, I'm going to warn you. He called other men's name too. Hymenius is being one of them and Philetus being another. And you find out why he did that. I'm not trying to hurt anybody. I'm just trying to help my little flock. We need preachers to preach what you need and not what you want. We need preachers that will tell you the truth that you're not good little boys and girls. You're sinners in need of grace. Unless you repent, you're going to perish. It was, it, it was Osteen that said, I don't need to tell people that they're sinners. They know that. Look, Everybody look up here. No, they don't. As long as I'm better than you are, I'm not a sinner. I'm good shape if I'm better than you. That's a philosophy. I wish I knew what these that said, look, I'm 
going to tell baby boomer bunch that, that they're a bunch of sinners and, and they're in trouble. Listen to what the, the, the statement is. They already know that. No, they don't. They need to be told that they are either to repent or perish. That's what the Word of God says. And I we can get preachers to do it in truth with love. But I'm going to tell you what, we need men that will preach. We don't need to hear any more about prosperity, gospel. This, you name it and claim it. I've heard this now. I had that to happen in 1980s, 90s, uh, the teens, the teens. What is that, 40 years now? I'm sick of it. And yet it's growing in leaps and bounds. If you're saved, say amen. If you've got his life, say amen. Oh, you've got, listen now, then the abundant life that Jesus has promised to you. Abundant life is not having stuff and your way and you becoming the best you you can become. The abundant life is becoming as much like Christ as we can become. Nowhere in the Word of God does the Word of God tell us that you can have everything you want just like you want it when you want it. Can I testify a minute? I have repented so many times over this this week. I'll just tell you what, the other night, man, I don't know whether I had an ounce of faith in me or not. And I know y'all have never been to that point. But I, I'm, I, I just told God, I said, look, if I just, and look how ignorant I am. Everybody heard me say, look how ignorant I am, say amen. I said, Lord, if I just had a little insight to this, can I tell you what the truth of the matter is? We're better off not knowing more times than if we did. Please listen to me. It's enough to trust Him completely explicitly fully pastors had troubles pastors family been beat up this year but the other night for some reason it just got to the place that I said Lord I don't get this now I've repented like I told you a bunch of times since then we're real good I've gotten a little drink from heaven and I'm refreshed but I wanted to tell you, friend, listen, it can happen. And being honest is nothing wrong. Hey, if I won't get you to do this because some of you would. I was going to say reach over and pinch your neighbor. Don't do that. Somebody will get smacked. You know what? You know what? They'd say, ouch. We're real, friend. We're all real. We're all real. And that's what I'm trying to be with you. This prosperity gospel that's being purported by, by so-called preachers that are women. I'm going to be real simple. Ain't no such thing. And any church promoting that, I've got questions about whether or not they're really what they claim to be. Now, folks, we're in a mess. Where are you at, Steve? Thank you for remembering a message I preached. I remember that one, by the way. I'm telling you, um, 
Who's this woman that looks like a man? Joyce Myers? Who's Paula White? Beth Moore? God help if you read after them and follow them and listen to them. Everybody believes I'm trying to help you say amen. They're dangerous, folks. I heard Paula White in a in a communication with a man, they thought they were having a great revelation of truth. And she said, Jesus is the only begotten Son of God. Meaning that all of God's sons and daughters are begotten by God. Watch my head. Ain't no way, dude. He is the only begotten one of a kind, unique sons, born of a virgin, conceived by the Holy Ghost. God manifests in flesh, both God and man. He's one and only. Y'all ought to have got up on your all's feet and shouted the house down on that. So you see, if you don't, a little bit of truth, you'll, you'll get swallowed up by what is not truth, folks. Since I started watching YouTube, that's exactly right. I've heard some of the dumbest stuff coming out of the lips of people that profess Christianity. Now, get ready to say amen. Are y'all ready? Okay. I mean for this now. Y'all have heard me say some stupid stuff from this pulpit. Because I'm human. I make mistakes. I, I mean, y'all have heard me get things turned around backwards. That's the way this mind thinks. I've got some degree of dyslexia, especially with numbers, but I get words. I can be thinking something as clear as a bell and somebody else, something else to come off. Y'all have heard me. Y'all have heard me do that a thousand times in 15 years. Hey, y'all know what? The first Sunday in October, I'm starting 16. Isn't that amazing? We'll celebrate that in a couple of weeks. How about that? But we ought to be aware. A lot of these people, like Stephen Furtick, I am of the opinion that he doesn't really care as long as he gets his money. And they all live in million-dollar homes. And I'm not against God's people prospering. Have you heard me say that? Say amen. But I'll tell you what it does bother me. When a man can come on his stage preach the gospel, and wear a t-shirt of one of the most ungodly rock groups that has ever been in America. What they stand for, their songs teach and preach, is as ungodly and burnt out of hell as can be. And he'll get there on his stage. Now listen, listen, I'm, I'm good, I'm cool, but you got to admit he's a handsome man. He's in shape, he's stylish. I, I wish I could preach like him. I'm just glad I don't preach like him. Big difference. And you know what I was bragging on the other day? He said, you know what? Said, uh, talking about his son going to school. He said, I'm going to miss him. I'm going to miss my buddy getting in the weight room working out while we jam on all of these different groups that are ungodly, like Metallica. See, I don't even know who Metallica is, but I know they're not good. 
And he said, oh, by the way, I know this may not make all of you glad, but I was coming in this morning, and, and, I, and I was down. I was feeling, now listen to this. I wasn't feeling too good. So you know what I did? I just rammed in a, a, some CD. I'll just give Metallica again. He said, it picked me right up. I heard one song, and I was good after that. Let me ask y'all something. What would y'all do to me if I said something stupid like that from this pulpit? If you all didn't set me down and talk to them, you're a bunch of chickens. And you need talk to. Say amen. You know I'm right. It's in my church. It's God's. It's not yours either. We come here to worship. We claim it to be ours in fellowship and worship. But nobody owns a brick, a shingle, a nail, a screw. It belongs to the Lord. I was here the day we dedicated. We gave it to him. It's his. But you know what the congregation was doing that bothered me as much as him saying it? They were laughing like that was the funniest thing in the world. And they were applauding him and promoting him in that. Now you say, preacher, how do you say that? How do you say the things you're saying about what's going on in America in the pulpits of others? Say it with me with sadness, with shock. And if you don't get that in my voice, family, this is unbelievable. But this is the truth that we're living in in this era that directly precedes the second coming of Christ. It ought to trouble us. David said that he had a perfect hatred for sin. Did he not? In one of the Psalms. He re- that may not be the exact quotation. Do you remember the quotation? I have, ha- I, have, I have hated thee with a perfect hatred. Find it, Josh. Get it for me, will you? If you can, find it. We ought to have a perfect indignation about things. If you agree with that, say amen. You see, one of the reasons that we've arrived to where we've arrived in this day and hour, we have been too passive. We've kept our mouth shut when we should have spoke up and stood up. We need, you know what would help this generation? Now look, as a nation, we've done cross the line of demarcation. The hand of God's judgment is upon us. His blessings are not toward us. Oh, He'll bless you individually. He'll bless this church collectively. He'll still do that. I'm not saying God's not moving among us or any of that, but as a nation, everybody heard me say that, say amen. It's the truth. Under Obama, when the Supreme Court voted to allow for gay marriages, God said, that's the line. That's the line. And it's not going to get any better. It's not. Did you find it? Read it. One. Yeah. One thirty nine. One thirty nine. Twenty one. Twenty two. You can get angry at sin, hate sin, but not the one that does it. And I know preachers that say can't do that. Oh yeah. We ought to hate sin. We ought to hate 
it's doing to our nation, to our children. I mean, there is an all-assault on the home and the family globally. Y'all are aware of that, right? We have got, listen, listen to what I heard today. They have what they call, quote, LB, Christian LBTQ advocates. Now listen, listen to this. They're going to churches and trying to bring together groups to dialogue. I love that word, to dialogue. I say that slanderously, by the way. To see what we need to learn about each other and how we can get together. Newsflash! Light is not going to get together and have any fellowship with darkness. You can't eat of the Lord's table and of the devil's table. And it amazes me. We've never tried to do, thank God we've never tried to do that with any other sin in the world except homosexuality. Now, if that doesn't tell you something, are you like it's a elite sin. Like, like it is on another, and it is, by the way, another level from every other sin in the world. Like it's to be embraced and, and come under subjection of no objections. Hey, listen, folks. I'm going to quit. Come on, Jesus. I implore thee. You're already in this book. Stay in it. Learn it. Live it. Love it. Now, I, I, I really in some ways hate saying this, but next week, Lord willing, I'll preach the second part of this message. I knew it was way too big before I got here. You don't have any hard time figuring out what it is. I'll be preaching about the error of Balaam. And some of you won't like it, but I'm going to preach it to you the way the Bible gives it. And then I'll end up, if not next week, the following week, uh, on the doctrine of Balaam. And let me give you this before I go. You remember what I said about denying the Lord, denying their only Lord God? You know what I think? If I can find it in my notes really, really quickly. You know what Jude was saying in that? Can't give it to you now. I have to wait, so you have to come back. Sorry. Hey, when the Lord shuts your mouth, you better shut your mouth. But anyway, I think it's good. I'll give it to you in a couple of weeks. Just bow our heads. I know you love the church. I know you love the Lord. I know you love the work. And Christians can be guilty of being passive. Not because we are mean or ugly, but that, that's our nature. In many ways, it's complimentary. We think of best of people. We look for the best in people. We want the best from and for people. Are we not that way? Do you know what we need to be? We need to be pray, prayerful, praying. 
and watching or watchful. That's what Jesus said. We need to be vigilant. We're to be kind. We're to be loving. Y'all, y'all know, and I believe you all know this to be true. People may not believe it, but there's not a, there is not an individual that come to this church that this church would not try to love and minister to. We've proved that over the years. But in loving them and ministering to them, that does not mean that we will not tell them the truth. You know, the Bible tells us and teaches it's a proverb, and I'm not going to be able to quote it, but it says that somebody that loves you enough to tell you the truth is a better friend to you than somebody that lies. We can tell the truth without being mean. Father, I come to you thankful for the 